Welcome back. It has been a hot minute, and uh, around here it's it's been hot as hell. It's it's been great. I've been out and not sorry. Uh, for a while, I struggled there, uh, not getting episodes out. Uh, then I realized it just doesn't matter. Uh, it's summer. It's gorgeous. I'm going to get to these when I get to these. Uh, clearly, some of you have missed me. I have got messages, emails, and honestly, my my downloads have just kept trucking along. So for rolling with us, I, I really do appreciate each and every one of you. Uh, it doesn't go unnoticed, and uh, I obviously I don't do this for vanity, but it is nice to see people do appreciate it. Uh, that being said, I'm not going to put too much weight on myself. I'm going to do these when I can. Uh, especially since the weather's so nice and I have all of the reasons to just unplug. Uh, so I hope I'm not the only one unplugging. I, I hope other people are kind of just checking out. And on that note, let's, uh, get into it. A lot has happened in the last few weeks since I put this out, or put out an episode. I guess we did one right before the provincial elections in Ontario, uh, to no real surprise, the, the result of that was as expected. Uh, one independent did win a riding. Uh, it happened to be a very conservative riding, of which the conservatives chose not to tap a conservative candidate. And the independent that won was endorsed and, and under the tutelage of a long lifelong conservative MPP in that riding. So uh, it basically became a, a baton pass uh, under an independent umbrella so it was nice to see uh kind of dumb on the conservative side to not at least incorporate that candidate into their their group i don't know why they chose to do that but nonetheless it was nice to see an independent win ndp and liberals had got slaughtered uh and thankfully so uh it was a bloodbath internally that they needed um we saw deluca get fired basically i mean him and horvath both quote-unquote stepped down they weren't really given a lot of options, and rightfully so. Uh, Horvath especially, going now she's lost, I think this is eight years of consecutive losses with them. So, I mean, it was due time to, to gut that horse, but uh, off to the glue factory, proverbially. Um, we'll see which direction the provincial NDP go. Uh, I think with Horvath, they were pretty pretty wildly left uh i i don't really think i'm right in hoping that the ndp kind of find their centrist left of center roots uh they they started out for the working man uh unfortunately they have drank too much of the marxist kool-aid and are going full left left um and it's not something i like uh i'm okay with the liberals being that horse. Uh, it, again, I, I don't believe in a system where one side gets should have complete reign. Uh, we, we need a balanced system. And in the absence of balanced parties, you need diametrically opposed parties to keep the balance. Um, we're in a situation now where the NDP hold too much, too much of the, the, the balance that really matters is in their hands. They, they can kind of be the kingmaker without actually having their own power. Uh, you see that being played out right now with, with Jagmeet Singh. He can basically coronate policy based on who they 
side with. Uh, so right now they're they're riding the liberal horse, and they will continue. Uh, they just don't line up with the conservatives at all. But that imbalance is likely going to be a, a big problem in the next handful of elections, I think, until they can sort that out. Uh, I'd like to see them go back to the, the days of Jack Layton. Uh, again, some policies for the working man can be, can be left of center. Um, but again, when the premise of your, your policy and your direction is good in, in practice, policy, in theory, uh, as long as it has roots that benefit the average citizen, we can work from that. Uh, unfortunately, right now, they're, they're dealing in policy that sounds good, uh, but in practice is not what's going to solve any of the litany of our problems. And, and don't get kid yourself, we have a lot of problems right now. Um, unfortunately, we're not in a position to deal with emotional problems. Uh, things that sound good, feel good, are not what's what's needed right now. Uh, unfortunately, we're, we're in a time, socially, politically, economically, we need some hard truths. Uh, in, in a time where truth has become subjective, and it's my truth, it's your truth, not the truth. Uh, and I understand that can crinkle some people's feathers. I just don't care. Uh, if, if somebody criticizing the fact that truth is not subjective, uh, then no. You can have your lived experience. That doesn't make it your truth or your lie. Uh, there is the truth and there is opinion. Just like the truth says that we are heading Falls deep into a recession, if not worse, depression. I would say we're heading towards a depression. If you if you look at how they've actually calculated inflation compared to when they had the depression, they they've actually changed the metrics. They've they've ruled out, I believe, fuel and housing, uh, two giant expenses. Like that's so much of today's income is attributed to gas and housing. Uh, so when you rule out the inflation on those two, it's, and even with those gone, we're sitting at almost 8% inflation. So if you understand that gas has gone up a hundred percent in the last year and then some, like it's insane. Uh, we're sitting certainly higher than 8%, uh, housing alone. Uh, I bought my house almost two years ago. We've, we've gained 40%. Uh, after it's cooled a little bit, I think I'm still up 30%. Uh, that's not small change. Like That's a huge amount on your mortgage. Uh, if I had to buy today, I could not afford the house I'm in. So, yeah. we're, we're And that's just the hard truth. And nobody will say it. Uh, it's not politically handy to anyone other than the official opposition. It's, it's handy to the conservatives on the federal side. And it's handy to the liberals on the provincial side. Because you want to smack down the people in power, your opposition. Uh, and there's no doubt, provincially and federally, we're, we're in a bad spot economically. And it doesn't help anyone to not say it. The, the longer we take to kind of realize the direction we're heading, the more damage I think it's going to do. And, and the disservice to people, the lack of preparation, the lack of just understanding. Uh, there's a lot of people with a lot of exposure still. And not giving people the information is, is honestly a, a huge disservice. 
But we'll see. I mean, <laughs> just shits and giggles. I was looking at pickup trucks on the weekend, and uh, every dealership I went to, uh, they're pushing, hey, lock in your financing now, because end of June, June 30th, rates for a five-year term go from 5% to 9% interest. Uh, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. I, I We will see a housing bubble almost indefinitely at this point uh for example i bought my house a little under two years ago and uh i signed my interest rate was 1.49 percent i got a percent and a half interest rate on a five-year fixed term mortgage Uh, i I have friends that were talked into variable term mortgages Uh, they're already pushing three percent uh i know currently if you get a five-year fixed you're like four percent almost and it's the Bank of Canada has confirmed it's going to go up again and again. I think they said they want to go up about a whole percent in in this next two quarters, about a half a percent every every quarter uh, until they will basically do that until people start bleeding to the point where it's it's affecting uh, politics. Basically, uh, we're in a position now where people have to hurt to try and get the ship kind of righted, and they will do that until it becomes painful for them politically Uh, and and it's terrible to say that but it's just how it works uh politics has basically ruined everything uh you can't have a an organization that's supposed to be independent from politics uh it's just a function of our country uh it it is now basically catering to to the politics of the day uh and it's just this is what's happened. We, we've ruined politics for everyone. Uh, and in every every avenue. So yeah, the Bank of Canada, and I, I fully expect in the next, prob- probably this summer, you'll see the, the top brass at the Bank of Canada get shit-canned uh, or quietly step down. They are, they are in for some reckoning, I think. And uh, politically, it will make, make good fodder to have them gone and basically used as, as pawns to blame them for problems that are really policy problems. Uh, they were just kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time, I guess. But we'll see how that pans out. I expect you'll see some change over there. I expect the interest rates are going to go up until people start losing their houses. Uh, and there are people today, possibly listening to this, uh, there are people today that will lose their house. It's, it's already set in stone. The interest rate hikes we've seen already, paired with the inflation we've seen, will cause people to have to walk away from their mortgages come renewal time. It, it, it's a terrible thing. Uh, unfortunately, it's it's going to have to happen. I know even by today, looking at my mortgage versus when I have to renew, uh, we're looking at about a $500 a month difference. We should be able to weather that. It's not going to be fun. Um but it's certainly going to, to sink some people. $500 a month, some people just don't have uh, to, to spare. So it will be unfortunate to, uh, to see. But I, I think that is going to be, in the, in the coming year probably, you're going to see a lot more walkaways. Uh, the, the liquidity in the housing market will likely rise as people have to basically just say, no, I can't, I can't afford the interest rate. Um, the way the housing market works is you can have overinflated value of houses you can have the average house be five hundred thousand dollars if the interest rate is one two percent or you can have 
10% interest, which is largely healthy for the economy at large, at two or $300,000 average house. Uh, I know my parents growing up, they paid 19% interest on a $170,000 house. And that was a nice house at the time. Um, so when it comes to just bread and butter economy, housing market, you can't have both. Uh, as we see inflation sink our economy, you're gonna, you have to counter that with higher interest. Money costs money. And we've had an overabundance of cheap and free money. And COVID certainly put gas on that fire. But low interest rates on their own will have got us here. It probably would have taken 10 more years. But nonetheless, when you're in a situation of inflation kind of running away, borderline hyperinflation if you ask me, but as inflation runs away, you have to raise interest rates to combat that. So money isn't as free. It isn't as fluid. It's it's not just out there kind of water flowing everywhere and, and kind of spilling it. Like the housing market has run away. Um, there's a lot of people right now sitting on the sidelines hoping for houses to kind of just collapse so that they have an opportunity and truthfully it's needed from a from an economic standpoint we need a housing correction because you're not going to fix it by changing wages you're not going to you can't just snap your fingers make a 25 dollar minimum wage and think that's going to fix your housing problem that might fix your housing problem for people in a six-month window who can strike while it's hot once that kind of filters into the economy, you're just going to have more inflation. Things cost more, labor costs more, people got to charge more. People charge more, people will spend. Like, it's just a snowball. Uh, again, it's it's based off good emotions. It sounds good to say, hey, I'm fighting for minimum wage to be 25 because you should have a living wage. But we're, we're not looking past the statement where it's like, hey, this statement feels nice, but what's it actually going to do in practice? What will it do to the economy if I basically just tack $10 an hour on top of every wage earner? Uh, what will that do in practice? Um, again, it takes time to level out all of the impacts, but it, it will have tremendous impacts indeed. So no, I, I, think, I think economically we're heading for a tragedy, and I don't know if there's any way to avoid it at this point. Uh, as somebody who kind of, I've jumped in the housing market, not at the best time. Um, fortunately for me, like I said, I, I have, I got in right before it kind of really ballooned. Um, certainly I would have liked to be in sooner. I, I, I probably bought my house for more than I should have, but nonetheless, I got in before it kind of really ballooned. Uh, so in the course of a year and a half, I've got to see like 200 grand of equity kind of just appear from nowhere. Uh, and yeah, I've lost maybe 20 or 30 grand in equity, but I mean, it's unimagined, right? Like I haven't, I haven't realized any of that. I haven't sold anything. So it's, it can kind of do its own thing, but I'm, I'm un, under the impression and understanding that in the next couple years, I could actually be holding the note for a house that isn't worth what I owe on it. I could, I could realistically see my house dropping to the point where it's actually worth less than I paid. Uh, and, and it sucks to say, but like, we almost need it. I, I, that's a short-term pain that I think a lot of people are going to have to feel, and some people won't be able to weather it. As anyone who's bought a house recently in Canada, if you aren't familiar, uh, we've implemented the stress test in Canada. So 
That means when you apply for your mortgage, uh, at the time, they they have a basis points that you have to test above. Uh, so now that interest is 3.5% or something, you have to test at like 9 or 10% interest to, to be able to afford that mortgage and, and get granted that. Myself, at the time I tested, it was it was a point and a half um, interest. I had to test at seven percent, and we are we're not there yet, but we are on a clear path to the point where people will already be reaching their stress test limits on paper. Let alone the fact that when you were stress tested for an inf- uh, interest rate hike, they don't take into account the inflation of everything else. So even if back in September 2020, you could afford 7% interest on your house, that was taking apples for apples as if all things were equal. So you add in the doubling of gas, you add in the fact you can't buy a car, used cars, food is insane. All of these, just average inflation itself is 8%. So no doubt hard times are coming and there's no way around it. Um, again, circling back to the premise of, of just realizing the truth and kind of trying to prepare yourself for it because there's no avoiding it. Um, and it seems like socially we're, we're at a point now where half of the people know it but are just so tired of saying, hey, this is a problem. And the other half are just blissfully ignorant to, to all of the woes and stuck in their political silo. Don't get me wrong, it's it's not necessarily a left or right. Uh, we, we have got here, this this economic problem predates COVID tenfold. Uh, we were always heading this way. COVID simply just kind of threw a tank of gas on the fire. Um, don't, get me, don't, don't get me wrong, uh, what's going on in Ukraine? Largely not, gonna, not impacting our oil at all. Um, I would say... The price of gas is more affected by Biden and his literal war on gas. And again, I'm not going to go through the effort to find it. If you care to, if you'd like to fact check me, you can find plenty of clips where Biden said he's going to take on oil. Uh, we're going to shut them down. We're not going to renew permits. Um, and that that alone raised prices. Um, it's speculative. It's, it's not he had a thumb on the scale. Um, but the policy proposals he's put forward and his positions uh, has made speculative investment in, in oil absolutely untenable. You can't do it. Um, so when you saw conflict happening outside of America, outside of North America, uh, the speculators price that in. Um, so yeah, but it has so much more, domestically here, has so much more to do with the fact that we are on a war path with oil, it seems, uh, both Trudeau and Biden, um, which again, don't get me wrong, once the economic pain sets in, all of this shit goes out the window. Uh, you're not going to care about Teslas when there's an economic recession, depression. Uh, you're not going to care about sending $250 million for gender studies in Pakistan. Uh, you're not going to care to send far $400 billion to Ukraine so they can fight a proxy war. When things really hurt at home, you don't have the patience and the, the capacity for all of these pet causes. We're getting there. Uh, we're just, we haven't, people haven't really fully realized it yet. And I don't, 
this train is on the tracks. You're not getting off now. Uh, so the question is, are, how hard is the impact going to be? Uh, my advice, do what you can. If, you, if you're fortunate enough to be in a position where you're not going to bleed out, you've got money tucked aside, you've got enough income, your job is safe, you're secure, whatever. If you haven't bought a house, you're, you're thinking, I would kind of probably wait. Um, but if you've got money, you've got, prepare yourself. Get, you should stockpile some food. I think that's just good practice in general. I'm not saying we're going to see shortages. Um, I think coming in the, being a farm kid, I understand a lot of the intricacies of the food chain from our, our perspective. Um, looking at what's coming in the fall and winter, uh, globally, there will be starvations. We are, we are without doubt going to see drastic shortages in food supply going into the fall and winter. What that means in North America, we're going to pay more prices. Uh, unless Trudeau decides to, out of humanitarian aid, we're going to give up half of our stockpiles or we're going we're gonna to donate X amount of our actual food supply, which, I, again, I don't think he will. Uh, there might be some humanitarian aid, and fine, we, that's, there's room for that. But when I say shortages in the fall and winter, I don't in Canada, North America as a whole, we're not going to see physical shortages. We're going to see inflation. Prices are going to go up, uh, and we're we're going to be in a position where we can actually compete economically to sustain our food supply. But nationally, internationally, sorry, um, it, we are going to see starvation. We're already seeing starvation now. Uh, again, we've touched on it in the past, where the United States have frozen. A bunch of national funds for Afghanistan. I believe it was something like four million people predicted to starve to death this year in Afghanistan. Um, again, we're getting into whole interventionalist policy, which should not happen. Stay the hell out of their business. Okay, you evacuated. Give them their damn money back. You're not giving it to the Taliban. You're giving it to the Afghan people and the government. And yes, some of it will end up in the wrong hands. Just like some of the Red Cross money, wherever the Red Cross goes, ends up in the wrong hands. You can't keep it clean, so stop touching it. But nonetheless, we're going to see prices go up. We're going to see people die in other countries. You're going to be able to turn off UNICEF TV and pretend it's not happening. You'll feel great about yourself. Uh, just ignore the people that said this was coming a mile away. Uh, and a lot of that stems from the fact that fertilizer and, and is very very difficult to get out of the top producers that is ukraine for example um yeah it's it's going to be bad um and as far as inflation goes people have not realized what the fuel prices have in correlation to food prices um all of the food you're consuming today was produced with fuel that was harvested at pseudo average prices where it should have been um certainly i'm not going to sit here and pretend a dollar 30 a liter was good um but it was tolerable it was it was doable now you've got farmers who are fueling these tractors and trucks at two dollars a liter in the states you've got farmers fueling at five six seven dollars a gallon uh people out in california pushing eight dollars a gallon if you look at Canadian prices, $2 a liter is about 8 bucks a gallon. But the thing is, that food, that hasn't hit the shelves yet. It is still being grown. It, it just got planted. It just got cultivated. It just got 
plowed. It's getting sprayed. It's getting harvested. It's getting transported. It's getting dried. It's getting processed. That food hasn't hit the shelves. So when the food that has gone with so much inflation, when that product starts coming to market, that's when you're going to see spikes. Uh, You're going to see any grain is going to go through the roof. Uh, You're going to see a lot of the other stuff too. Uh, All of your your meats have to be fed by farmed produce. Uh, You're talking grain, corn, all of this stuff. All of this stuff that hasn't actually been harvested yet, that hasn't been priced in. And yeah, some of the speculators are pricing some of it in. We haven't realized even a fraction of it yet. So come fall and winter, expect food prices to go up a lot more than they're telling you. Um, I hope to be wrong. Uh, maybe I'm just doom and gloom. But based on my understanding and, and what I've experienced growing up, this is how it's going to end up. It's, it's going to go. And then you're going to have a crisis where food is skyrocketing, housing is plummeting while interest rates are going up, people are not going to be able Like, we are heading for problems. And I, I'm not saying this as somebody who's got armchair answers. I simply don't. Um, I just know it's coming, and people should prepare. Uh, I expect some hard times. And uh, unfortunately, a long stretch of good times has created a necessity for some hard times. I uh, circle that back around to some federal policy. Um, as of right now, uh, the states passed Roe v. Wade. Again, I will own my bias and I have no no shame in it. I think that's a net good. Uh, I am fervently pro-life. Uh, I am absolutely pro-choice. There's a lot of choices people have uh, up until murdering a baby. And I don't care where you land on that. That's just my opinion and I'm not going to hide my bias. It is what it is. We can have a discussion. But, nonetheless, that's that's going to... That is going to be the cloud that hangs around the American summer, which I expect will likely be violent. Uh, already, if, you, if you're a shooter, hunter, sport, whatever, I would get your ammo as soon as you can, because uh, just like we saw with the Black Lives Matter protests, ammo got scarce and prices went up. Again, not speculating, curiosity, any type of civil unrest... I'm just saying, from an economic standpoint, ammo is about to go up in price and get harder to get. Um, as the summer uh, kicks off with extreme heat and wild behavior. Uh, so watch out for that in the States. Uh, that will be the political football, at least through till November, when they have their midterms. Uh, both sides will leverage that as hard as they can and beat that horse till it stops bleeding. But uh, nonetheless, uh, I <laughs> Roe v. Wade... It isn't as big as people are think making it out to be. Uh, if you were an American and you want an abortion, you'll still be able to get one. It might just be harder to do it. You might have to go a state over. Uh, based on all of the, the rhetoric so far, it sounds like your employer will likely pay for it. At least if they're an employer that changes their display picture for the month of June. Uh, if it's not an employer that changes their display picture for the month of June, Maybe you'll have to drive yourself or get a family member. Certainly, it's going to get harder. I think that's a net good. Less babies will die. I don't care if that upsets you. It doesn't upset me. But nonetheless, just in law, 
it, it base Roe v. Wade being un- overturned simply kicks the rights, not the rights, the the legal framework of restriction of abortion. It kicks it down to the states. What's that mean? It means in states like Texas, in states like Louisiana, where the populist of the demographic, the voting block, has elected representatives that view this side of the argument. So, democratically, they have voted for people that hold policy values that align with them. So, democratically, they have chosen representation that views it this way. Which means, their state will do as the delegates request. Or at least in favor of that kind of viewpoint. And in California, where the democratic voting blocks want you to be able to leave a baby in a dumpster, uh, you'll still be able to do that. Uh, Don't get me wrong, I'm I'm not being hyperbolic. California and I think it was Colorado, um, not positive on the second state, but there are multiple states that have proposed and tried to put into law the right to deny care to a born child. Uh, Again, we can have moral arguments anywhere in the, the... stage of pregnancy. Uh, if, if we can't agree that allowing a human to just starve to death, if that's not barbaric and honestly demonic, there's no discussion. I, you and I, if that's how you feel, you and I can't have a conversation. If you're cool with literally leaving a human to die. There's just, nope. There's no room for that. Uh, but nonetheless, Roe v. Wade does not impose anything on anyone by default. It was, again, without putting bias and opinion. I have bias and an opinion, clearly. But without putting any of that in, Roe v. Wade was simply bad law. Um, you saw, And this isn't my opinion. You look at Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the left's love child. Even she's on the record saying they need to revisit it so that they could make it stronger. Because it wasn't set properly. It wasn't good law. And she actually said it needed to be revisited so they could bolster it. They could support it. Uh, Again, the core of the case is just bad law. Uh, The states have a very firm layout where the federal government only has certain purviews that they're allowed to rule on. Uh, And if it's not an express right, then they don't get to just, hey, this is our rule. Uh, very different than Canada. We have a whole different structure, and we get to do... Federal government has a lot more power. As we're seeing, Bill C-11 looks to be into the Senate now, and will likely pass the Senate. What does Bill C-11 mean? As I quickly shift into seventh gear, like we're in the Fast and Furious. Um, but no, C-11 in Canada, internet censorship bill, which means if Trudeau doesn't like my content, he can say, hey, we don't like that content. We, we deem it to be anti-Canadian or against Canadian interest. And again, that's, that's taking a little bit of leeway for hyperbole, but not a lot. Basically, they're, they're allowing the CRTC, the Canadian regulation for TV and radio, um, they're going to basically lump the internet into their, their, pur- their purview, allow them to kind of police it and, and rank people and derank people and remove content and it is literally internet 
censorship. Um, there's nuance and intricacies to what they will do, what they won't do, how they'll do it. For example, they may not just delete things they don't like. They may just completely put it on the thousandth page of Google, where it's not deleted, but certainly it's going to never be found unless you specifically look for that one thing. But uh, that's going through. And again, you pair that with everything Trudeau has done, and without being too hyperbolic, he is doing many things uh, despotic and authoritarian and totalitarian. All of the overpowered leaders of history have done. Uh, he's doing it with a lot less... Um, how should I say it? He's he's not as suave about it. He's it's not as popular. It's not as it's not the zeitgeist, for example. Um, again, it's not a good thing. But but Hitler was a popular leader when he came to power. Um, and I'm not saying Trudeau is Hitler. I have huge problems with Trudeau. Obviously, huge problems with Hitler. Not the same. Just using two comparisons. Hitler was popular. As of today, Trudeau is largely not popular. Um, you're you're more you could throw a golf ball into a shopping mall, and chances are you're going to hit somebody that doesn't like Trudeau. Uh, there's not a lot of people that would genuinely say, "Hey, I like the guy." You'll find a bunch of people that say, "Hey, I like him better than Polyev. I like him better than the NDP." Um, he doesn't have a lot of fans. So, and I say that as a critique to him himself. Um, the man has on the record stated he admires authoritarians. He admires dictators. Um, he's just bad. He's he, like, he wants to be amongst people he respects. But the thing is, he doesn't even meet their levels. Like, at all. At, at some level, all of the people he, he admires literally had... A large amount of, of support at one time. And again, you get punched drunk on power, and it, power corrupts all the way. You could honestly apply that same thing to Trudeau. He really wasn't as bad when he first started out. The longer he's in power, the worse he's getting. Again, not saying he is Mao. Not saying he is Hitler. Lord knows, like that's clearly not what's, what's up. But he is getting punch drunk on power. He is going too far. And people are hurting because of it. Um, I genuinely think, as modern day politics is very different than even in the 30s, he will likely fall before it gets drastic and he gets syphilis and goes nuts. Um, but nonetheless, he's, he's impacting people today. Uh, through censorship, through vaccine mandates that mean absolutely nothing. I, I can fly to Europe. That's fine. I can fly to the States by our own policy. Uh, again, I'm currently barred by the Biden policy. But by our policy, I am allowed to leave Canada by plane anywhere I want. I am at the whim of the receiving country. That's fine. I can't argue that. I, ne I never would. If I go to Africa, I have to have the Zika shot. That's fine. That's the, that's my choice to go there or not. And that's their, their option to impose that on a non-citizen. But nonetheless, by Canadian policy, I can go to the States on a plane. Cannot do it by car. Our own border patrol will stop me. So, 
absolutely nuts. Um, again, I can fly to Europe beside a vaccinated person. We can go on the same trip. We can do everything together. He can literally test positive and only have to stay home for three days. I can literally test negative and I'm stuck home for 14 days. Again, this is a failure of them listening to science and removing the politics from it. We're, we're past the emergency phase where we had to take caution. We have a lot of information. We have access to testing. Like, there's no reason other than punishment to impose these insane measures. Um, but again, it's just drunk on power. It's, it's not about, about the science. It's not about anything more than what's in it for him and how it helps him. But yeah, no, it's it's wild. And they, they are pushing forward with the handgun freeze, as they call it. Um, again, this is, this is what makes me the most mad, I think, in, in modern Canadian politics. Is so much is done out of feel-good, and so little is done out of good practice and good policy. Uh, the handgun ban. If you don't know guns, if you don't know the politics behind it, if you don't know the, the tradition behind it, you don't know anything about the, the sport or the crime aspect. If you don't know anything on the topic, it sounds good. It sounds, yeah, like we're going to stop handguns. This is going to help people. People are dying. I don't want people to die, obviously. Um, and for them to leverage the American school shootings and as we find out, the corruption with the RCMP commissioner, uh, he's leveraging the Nova Scotia shooting, which is its own abject failure from a po from a police standpoint. But nonetheless, he he's sitting on a podium, standing on top of children's graves, literally. And I, I don't even mean that to be hyperbolic. As soon as the tragedy in Texas unfolded, the same day, here Trudeau is standing on the the graves of kids and using the tragedy in another country to other people's kids as a bouncing off point for policy change here for a problem we don't have. We don't have a gun problem in Canada. We don't have a mass shooting problem in Canada. We don't have a handgun problem in Canada. Uh, we have crime. We have gun crime. Uh, almost all of that gun crime can fit in two categories. Suicide, which you're not going to fucking stop. Sorry for getting adamant about it. Sorry for getting heated. But you're not going to stop it. If somebody is determined to hurt themselves, it doesn't... Certainly, some things are more permanent. And some things are, are more accessible. And we can talk about that. We can talk about how we support mental health. How we catch these things. How we help those people. Um, but the fact is a handgun or not, a rifle or not, if somebody is bent on, on harming themselves, you cannot legislate that away. You cannot change law to stop that. Uh, so pretending that that's part of it, throw that out. You're not, you're not doing anything effective at all. While simultaneously, I should mention, they've cut a whole bunch of federal funding from mental health. Um, so yeah. That's, and But don't get me wrong, a lot of people will have this conversation and completely ignore one of the largest statistics of gun death. Suicide is not something we should ignore. And it's not a stat I will sit here and ignore. It happens. It happens a lot. And it is probably the most common licensed gun misuse. 
and that's a conversation most won't even talk talk about. Again, it comes from a political left, right, right, wrong side where it's like I can't admit that hey, this exists. I can, I can, and I will. It's a problem, but but legislating a freeze on handguns isn't going to change anything. Next, we see okay, now they're using long guns more. Okay, now they're using like medication more. So it's like you can't legislate this out. And if that's part of what you're trying to solve, then let's have a conversation about that. Although that's not what they're talking about. They're talking about gun crime. Okay. They're talking street gangs. That is the second, first actually, um, most lethal use of, of handguns. And it's it's a problem. But it's, it's a inner city problem. Again, not forever. We see gangs are spreading to, to other areas. But... I've never seen a gangbanger with a registered handgun. Uh, it's it's not a legal handgun situation. It is an illegal handgun situation. And if you want to tackle that, by making it more illegal doesn't change anything. It literally stops nothing. You're, you're punishing the legal owners uh, and doing nothing for the illegal. Meanwhile, for the uneducated, uninitiated public that don't understand the crime, that don't understand the culture behind the guns, that don't understand the gun laws themselves, it sounds good to them. It sounds like, oh, we're going to fix the gun shoot, the gun deaths in Vancouver, in Toronto, in Timbuktu. Like, it doesn't matter where. It sounds like you're going to fix it. And it's, it's just so effortless. Like, they're not doing a damn thing, and they know it. That's the, the thing that makes me the most mad is like they're exacting pain up among a population that largely doesn't support them. Uh, most gun owners don't vote liberal. Again, it's not it's not painting everyone with the same brush. It's just I'm using appropriate stereotypes. Most most gun owners, most especially not now, um, as the, he's come after legal gun owners for years now. But no, like if you want to, if you want to actually talk about how we stop gang violence and and gun death in those situations, increase your border security, stop the guns coming in illegally, fund the border agents, fund the the gang crime units, um, lock them up for longer, harsher sentences, organize Rico everyone, like just add sentence multipliers. For, for aggravating circumstances, such as gang affiliation. But implementing laws against legal gun owners is just insane. For those of you that might be listening, and maybe you are favorable to guns, but aren't familiar necessarily, uh, as a legal gun owner in Canada, you are you have less rights. And, and again, this isn't, so I'm not like nagging at this. I'm not, I'm not bashing it. It's, it's simply just abject truth. As a legal gun owner in Canada, you have less rights than any other citizen just walking around. Uh, and by that, I mean, at any moment, if you're a gun owner and, and a peace officer asks to inspect the property, you can't say no. You, you lo- as a gun owner in Canada, you lose the right to unlawful, unreasonable searches. Uh, because having a gun and having a license for it forfeits, it forfeits the quote-unquote unreasonable portion of it. Uh, they can come in and inspect the house for weapons, make sure they're stored properly, make sure they're they're locked out, they're, they're put away. At any point in time, 
And again, in Canadian law, it's it's scope creep. So if they search your house while they're looking for guns, but they happen to find, hey, I see you've got uh, a little bit of dust on that mirror on the table. Uh, we're going to actually tear this house apart now. So no, as gun owners, they have less rights than everyone else. And that is something they chose, a, a contract they, they willingly got into in order to participate in the hobby, hunting, sport shooting, whatever. Furthermore, making like handgun sport shooting is not a small industry. Like that's, that's a, it's a substantial industry. And now you've made it so nobody can ever get that license again. Uh, you can't pass your guns down to your kids. Your kids have no means of getting that license ever. Uh, and if you're in handgun sport shooting already, it means you are literally the last class to ever go through that sport. Uh, it, it will now be illegal for everyone that comes after you to pick up sport shooting pistols. Uh, and don't get, don't get them wrong. They're not going to stop there. But yeah, it's just, we've got so much going on and I can't even sink my teeth into like one or two solid topics. It's, it's getting so bad that you, you genuinely have to wonder if they're doing it on purpose. If all of these individual things are happening out of like, have you ever like seen somebody so stupid that it's like, you're, you're, you're being so dumb. You have to be trying at this. It's kind of how it feels right now in Canadian politics is like, you have to be trying a little bit to be this bad. Like even, even a broken clock is right twice a, twice a day. So it's like to be wrong on every front all the time. Like it, it seems like it's motivated, but yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of the table as I see it. Uh, I, I also kind of attribute some of the, the power grab that we're seeing right now with Trudeau. I think, and again, this is probably a hopeful bias, a little bit of confirmation bias coming in. Um, probably more than a little, but nonetheless, I can acknowledge, maybe I'm wrong. Um, but I think the tea leaves are kind of changing when it comes to Trudeau. I think they're kind of losing grip of everything going on. I, I don't know how much longer that, that marriage with the NDP will work. Uh, again, I'm hoping that the NDP are a little more center than I, they probably really are. Um, but I have the feeling that the NDP will kind of hitch their wagon to whatever horse is going to pull them. Uh, and I hope so. I genuinely do. So as we see public kind of lose faith with the liberals, uh, I hope to see the NDP kind of reluctantly side with the conservatives just out of self-preservation uh i basically see them working with whoever will keep some of their policy going forward um i they're kind of sellouts and i don't say that as a slight it, it works for them i suppose um but yeah they they'll kind of take the food from whatever hands feeding them so if the conservatives will work with them on a couple initiatives that they can kind of find common ground on they'll do that as long as they think the conservatives are going to be the next power. Uh, so hopefully the NDP kind of do that self-preservist type of, of bargaining. Um, but we don't know what goes on behind closed doors. We don't know how that marriage with the liberals is going. Uh, it's a lot of ego between two parties to kind of balance. And I, I don't think the caucus on either side are really thrilled about it. Um, there's, there's a lot of different perspectives in in that kind of boat so 
maybe Trudeau's pushing all of the radical stuff now uh, because he thinks he's running out of time. Or, or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe it's just out of cockiness that he thinks he's basically locked it in. I don't actually have a full read on it. I don't, I don't know which way it likely ends up. But nonetheless, he is, he is going full force right now. Uh, he's, they're not really holding back. They're kind of going after all of the big ticket things. Uh, I can't really explain why, but it seems like it's, it's kind of rushed. So we'll see if the NDP holds support through the next ugh, three years now. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a rough one, I think. Uh, and as the economy will continue to fall apart, uh, we have to, again, it's got to, it's got to break some so we can find a more sustainable level to be at. Um, that's going to have a huge political toll. Uh, and again, that doesn't matter who's in power at the time. Uh, anytime the economy collapses, it does, it doesn't matter. There's always a changing of the guard. It's easy to blame the party in power, uh, in this situation, when it comes to COVID spending, appropriate blame they spent way more money than they should have and even if you take out the the stimulus like if you shut down a business i don't think a lot of them should have been shut down outside of maybe a a short time frame to get your bearings um but even outside of the stimulus money domestically the the foreign funding internationally has gotten to be an insane level uh our foreign money going out as humanitarian as aid as all this other stuff is, is honestly getting close to what our operating budget was domestically in my lifetime. Uh, it's, it's wild to see how much money we are literally just giving away to people that aren't even in our country. And I don't mean that as a xenophobic. It's just, from an economic standpoint, if your ship is taking on water, don't give the ship next to you a bucket. You're gonna need it. When your ship is sturdy and doing fine, by all means, help out the other bucket, other boat. But just like in a plane, put your own mask on first so you can help other people. You can't help when you're already in danger yourself. And again, that is a lesson people will have to learn through hindsight. You're going to have to see the consequence. And it's actually a negative lesson because by the time you realize that lesson, you're you're well on your way to being okay again. Because again, even the depression ends. Um, so there will come a time where economy stabilizes, but then you've got people that are, are kind of gun shy. They won't help when maybe they could because, hey, we saw this happen last time. We can't be so generous. So it's, again, this is what happens when you work with your your feelings and not just facts and and hard truth so we'll see i again it's the the curse of a bleeding heart really is when you when you knee-jerk react to everything out of emotion and you are unable to kind of remove yourself and your bias again you can't you can't remove your bias i i've never claimed to but i acknowledge my bias and i understand where it leaves me exposed and I think a lot more people would be better off if they could do that too. Um, but yeah, I think without sounding like Chicken Little, the sky is kind of falling. Uh, it's not going to fall all the way, but it's going to be a bumpy ride, I think. And I, I think we're in for some fun. Uh, I am curious to see south of the border how summer goes. 
Uh, it seems like it's going to be a particularly hot summer this year, if, if the spring has been any indicator. I mean, I'm already riding in a t-shirt on my motorcycle, so it's going to be warm. Um, and with heat, you, you see violence. Uh, it, it, again, it's not hyperbole, it's, it's fact. Heat waves bring on crazy behavior. Um, murders go up, riots happen, it's, uh, it's not a good time. And it's even worse when the political establishments want violence. And I, again, not being hyperbolic, there's literally a ton of blue checks on Twitter calling for riots, calling for violence. Uh, I, I just saw a thread before I came on here of a whole bunch of blue checks dropping the N-bomb now at Justice Clarence Thomas because a black man voted for pro-life. Again, just based on the bad case law. Not even about opinion. Um, so yeah, we're, we're back to blue checks comfortably dropping the N-bomb. Uh, I feel like it's the original Democratic Party of the slaves. Like, the, the people that are supposed to now represent the minorities are, are now okay with absolute disgusting language because it's being lobbed at people that don't agree with them politically. It's they're outside of their group. If you don't intersect with my group, you're not actually a person that I have to consider. So yeah, like, I mean, that's a thing. I, I, there's like, seriously, before I started recording this, there was like 12 people comfortably just dropping hard N-bombs on Twitter talking about Clarence Thomas. Like, what the hell? What the hell? Um, so yeah, it's going to be an interesting summer. Uh, unfortunately, people are going to die. Uh, it's it's going to be not fun. Uh, and it's going to be hard to get ammo. <laughs> which will be largely be the biggest impact up our way. Uh, just harder to get ammo, harder to get guns. I mean, I waited six months to get my, my last purchase. Uh, it was worth it, but uh, yeah, it's not fun if you are a sportsman. Anyway, with that, that leaves my update for June. I'm not going to do one next weekend because it's Canada Day, and I'm going to be celebrating Canada Day like every Canadian should. Um, maybe we'll touch in after that, uh, but I make no promises. So yeah, I hope you enjoyed our rant today. Uh, it really was just a rant. Uh, got in my feelings about a couple of the, these topics and, uh, I will continue to do so. Uh, as long as you guys are listening, I will try to put something out here and there. Uh, maybe come fall, we fall back into a groove, but until then, I hope you guys enjoy your week and, uh, the long weekend coming up. I, uh, I know I will for sure so uh as always everyone uh pay the fee if you enjoy what we're doing and a lot of you seem to keep doing it so i I appreciate it but pay the fee pass it on let somebody know that they are not crazy and there are sane balanced people on both sides of the spectrum in the world in in the room uh and yeah just stay uh take it easy everyone and uh stay free
Come and fly away with me. Come, come and fly away with me.